You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello, welcome to Series 10, Episode 23 of the Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm good, John, and I've got another um, special guest today, um, former Capital Radio journalist and presenter, now um, presenter of the Bower, uh, in the Bower Network, and Dunfermline fan, Stephen Mill. How are you doing, Stephen? You all right? How are you doing? You're obviously uh, struggling for guests now you've got me on, <laughs> down at the bottom of the barrel, so I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, it doesn't matter to us um, whether it's... Um, you know, you're, you're pretty high profile anyway, um, being in the media. Um, so um, just um, obviously we've talked a little bit there about the fact that you're currently presenting on the Bower Network. How are you enjoying that that job? Yeah, it's uh, it's really good. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned I was at Capital before, um, which I did the breakfast show for seven and a half years. So um, anyone who knows uh or anyone who works on a job that they have to get up early in the morning, uh, and you're talking half four um, for, for a, any considerable length of time, it is it's quite a slog. So, um, yeah, really happy to be at Bower. We're on uh, every day, Monday to Friday, uh, four to seven, uh, four to six on Clyde. Uh, so, yeah, it's a big network show. I'm working with Gary, who was also yeah. at Capital as well. Uh, you know, he's as uh, brilliant. The show's going really well, and it's. Uh, you know, it's just been a really odd year to launch a, a new network drive time show because, uh, you know, obviously uh, drive time is in the name. So mm-hmm. you're expecting lots of people to be in their car <laughs> between four and four and seven driving home. But obviously there's lots of people working from home. So it's a wee bit different. But, you know, the show's going really well. We've had some really big guests on. Um, we have some really big guests coming up as well, and it's just a chance to. It, we're basically doing a breakfast show uh, in the afternoon, which is uh, which is great, and you know the chance to work with Gary again w- was brilliant, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's good, and not having to get up early in the morning is also a bonus as well. Yeah, um, yeah, the term rusher um, has taken a whole different meaning. Is that running from one room into the next <laughs> to work? It's, did you have to do work from home during this time? Uh, funnily enough, um, you know, it was a sort of staggered start for us because we we launched on TFM and North Sound in February, and then we came on the rest of the network. Well, not the rest of the network, but we came on Clyde Fourth uh, and West FM in April. So obviously, by the time we got to April, it was we were in lockdown, um, and actually the first week. Uh, the first three days I had to work from home when we were launching on Clyde and Forth, which was a bit annoying uh, because mm-hmm. uh, my girlfriend, uh, she, she had a test. She, she's a doctor, so she was working at um, Forth Valley Hospital at the time. And, you know, she was coming into contact with COVID patients regularly and she showed symptoms. She had to get a test. Luckily, it came back negative. Um, so the first three days of our new show on Clyde Forth and the rest of the network, I was doing it from home, which was quite difficult. Um, you know, it's, you know, stuff like Zoom um, has made it easier. Like now, even between when, you know, when the song's on, we're trying to plan what, what's going on uh, between the links and all the rest of it. 
it makes it a wee bit better. But at that time, you know, it, it's actually quite difficult to do a show when you can't see someone uh, yeah. because, you know, we work a lot of hand signals and, uh, you know, just sort of eye contact and, you know, you know that you, you build up a sort of chemistry with somebody uh, when you're in the same room as them. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm be lucky enough that I've only actually, I've only done three shows from home um, and I, I've been lucky enough to, uh, getting in the studio every single day. Miraculously enough, we're considered key workers, so um, <laughs> I, I don't know how that's sort of come about. But I guess you know, since we're uh, broadcasters and it's a public service, I suppose. So yeah. uh, I've got a wee letter in my car. So when we were to- being told to stay at home, and you know, people were getting pulled over by the police and all the rest of it, I didn't. But um, I did have a. I've got a letter still in my car, just saying, you know, I'm a key worker. I'm allowed to be out and about, sort of thing. So special privileges of being a radio presenter. There aren't many, but I mean, that that was definitely one of them. No, good stuff. Um, yeah, I, I suppose um, you're classified as key workers, um, not be- just because you have to keep everyone up to date with the news, but um, you also need to provide entertainment for your listeners because in order for people to get through what was a tough period, you know, you need some form of entertainment. Totally, yeah. And, you know, it was kind of the way we do the show um, and the way I've sort of built my career is that I, I kind of, you know, I, I just I just kind of be as, as real as I can sort of thing. Like there's no there's no performance. There's no I know a lot of, um, you know, radio presenters are different and I've been successful in doing it in other ways. But I, I, I my sort of niche is the fact that I'm, you know, somebody you, I like to think that you could go for a pint with and uh, you know that that's the sort of that's the thing that I trade off so it was good in a way to be on the radio at that time because you know that every single person is doing the exact same things as you are and being relatable is one of the most important things in in radio um, and uh, relatability is just it's so important when it comes to being a radio presenter and at a time like that when it doesn't matter if you're you know uh, if you're you know working like some sort of normal job nine to five or you're working in a supermarket or you're a policeman or you're a fireman or whatever it is um, everyone's the same it doesn't matter how much money you've got or how little money you've got everyone had to stick by the rules and you know we did and um, just sort of conveying that and talking about, you know, people being on mute and Zoom and, uh, you know, having to do Zoom quizzes and like FaceTime your mum when she when she can't work it and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it, it was good in that way that we were living the same life as our listeners are and were. Um, and you know that's you know I, I don't I don't pretend to be uh, you said I was high profile before but you know I don't consider myself to be high profile all right I'm I'm on the radio and stuff but you know it's you know I just consider myself to be a normal person like anyone else and um you know during that time everyone was having to follow by the same rules and it was uh, it was an interesting time to be on the radio it was a different sort of broadcast and something that nobody um thought that we would have to do but you know it was you're right it was about trying to keep people entertained and trying to give them a laugh and an outlet because it was grim it was absolutely grim it, it definitely was it wasn't a an easy period for anyone and you know we've all got our opinions and and what should be open what shouldn't etc but we won't bore it, our listeners with that because we um, we are a football um podcast um and you up until recently did a podcast uh the um 
with Ray Bradshaw, Soccer FM podcast, which you recently stopped with, um, for something else that we'll come on to later. So how did that go? Four years you ran that? Yeah, it was really good. It was four years we did Soccer FM and it had been in the works for a while. Um, and I, I'd done something, with, we'd done some work with Ray at Capital like a couple of years previous to that. And we'd always sort of stayed in touch, gone really well. Um, and uh, it was actually uh, Div who runs Pie and Bovril, who sort of, mm. he, he was a fan of the, the Capital Breakfast show. Him and his kids used to listen like on the way to school, I think, when he was dropping them off. And he got in touch with me. He was like, you ever thought about doing a football podcast? And I was like, well, actually, I have. And he was like, well, he was like, we had sort of something years ago at Pie and Bovril, but I'm happy to sort of like, promote it and put my name to it sort of thing and I said oh well listen there's me and a, a guy Ray and then we, we were lucky enough to be able to use the facilities at um at Capital uh, so it was a proper we could we could do it like a proper um a radio show effectively mm-hmm. um, and you know high quality audio we could play clips we could do that and you know I know not everyone has that has that sort of privilege and um I always wanted, if I wanted to do something like that, I wanted to do it properly um, and do it in, in that sort of fashion. Yeah, I mean, and we're talking way before, like Zoom was a thing and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, technology's advanced even in the past four or five years. So, yeah, we, we did it for, for four years. It was a lot of fun. Um, we had some amazing guests on. And even, you know, looking back, we did our final episode uh, uh, five or six weeks ago. And I was going through just trying to get some clips for playing out in the mm-hmm. final episode. And, um, you know, it was it was really good just to listen back, and we got we had some really funny times, and some some of the guests were hilarious, some of them were shite, um, and you know we did a live shows as well. We sell, we sold out the stand in Glasgow three times. Um, we did another show at the Glasgow Comedy Festival. So like you know we we had a bit of success with it as well, and uh, yeah, it was it was a shame that it sort of had to come to an end, but um, you know. Like we had a really good run, and it wasn't as if we were, uh, not as if we'd fallen out or anything. Like it was just one of those things that, you know, I, I just I, I wouldn't have had time to put a proper bit of effort into it. And um, you know, and I, I'm sure as you know, like it's it's quite difficult to make money out of podcasts as well. And uh, it's uh, it, it requires a bit of effort. And you know, there's money in podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I think money can be made, but it requires a sort of full-time effort. And, you know, I just, I, I can't do that. And Ray, um, you know, by the last six months, obviously, where it's been a tough time for the comedy industry. Mm. Ray's got a lot of irons in the fire and, you know, Ray's going to go into big, big, big things. And um, he's a really talented guy. And I just think, um, you know, it was probably the right time with my new football show starting. Uh, to to call it a day, and you know we may come back and do some live shows because you know it's that, that's always possible because um, they went down really well and you know uh, they were a lot of fun and uh, we made money from them as well, <laughs> so, uh, so 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 that was good. Um, but you know, like it was it was really good times on the podcast, and it was a shame that I had to come to an end. I was gutted, and so was Ray. Um, but you know, it's a chance for us to do other things, and um, you know, we just uh, from my side, uh, it, it wasn't 
viable to be I would have been working seven days a week and you know I'd, I need to have a life as well and uh, you know unfortunately the the podcast is the one that had to be sacrificed in terms of that yeah, I don't think your message would have been too happy if you were um, busy no. for seven days a week. But um, yeah, sometimes good things come to an end. I mean, uh, the, the stand, um, obviously comedy is going through a very difficult time because since March there's been nothing. Um, I think they've recently got government funding, thank goodness. Um, that's something that me personally, having I usually go at the stand once a year, um, I'm hoping comes back um, at some point. Of course, when it's safe, um, because that's an industry um, that, there's a lot of talented Scottish comedians um, over the years. You know, you think of the likes of Billy Connolly, you think of Kevin Bridges. Um, I personally haven't seen Ray, but The Stand is a good place for um, nurturing new comedy talent. And I would just hope that that continues. Yeah, 100%. And you know what? It is difficult at this moment in time. And, you know, I, I, I know, obviously, I know Ray really well. There's guys like uh, Chris Forbes, who's in Scott Squad as well. Mark Nelson, who's been on the podcast. Susie McCabe. You know, all these all these guys are struggling. Um, and it must be it must be horrendous um, because that's that's their job. That's their that's their income. And, you know, these guys have got mortgages, they've got kids um, they've got families that they need to provide for. And, you know, it must be an absolute hellish time. But I guess the only thing that you can say is people will want to go to comedy gigs once all this is over. And, you know, there will be a day where this will be over and, you know, we will be back to back to normality. It might not seem like it just now, but, you know, I think we're closer to the end of this than we are to the start of it. And, you know, there's always going to be an appetite for people to go and see comedy. And I'm hoping that, you know, by the time we get to next spring, next summer, um, which is what a depressing sentence that is, but you know, because it's still months away. But mm-hmm. yeah, the people are wanting to go out and see comedy and go to the pub and go out for a meal. So these things will come back. Um, it's just, a, a, you know, I can't imagine how terrible it's been over the last sort of six months. I've been really lucky. You know, I've been working pretty much every day. Um, and mm-hmm. being able to actually go to work as well, which is obviously a privilege. So I, I'm under no illusions how lucky I've been over the last six months. But um, I think the, the sort of light at the end of the tunnel is, as you say, everyone will want to go and see comedy. And the Scottish comedy scene is so strong. There's so much talent in there. Um, I only wish that they would get a more, you know, a bigger, a bigger chance on TV. That's that's the only thing. You know, you look at that. Uh, Jonathan Ross had his show. Uh, it was like a sort of comedy sort of like uh, showcase thing that he was doing on Saturday nights. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think there was one Scottish comedian on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's stuff like that. And there's a bit of politics at play behind that because it's all agents and companies and management firms and all the rest of it. So, you know, it's it's a shame that I, I think Scottish comedy has been overlooked quite a bit. Um, and even with the new BBC Scotland channel, um, which has been, you know, an absolute disaster uh, on pretty much every front, um, they they haven't, in my opinion, uh, given enough chance to young emerging Scottish comedy talent. Uh, guys like Ray, um, who you know is. As, as I say, is going to go on and have and, and has a good has an amazing career, but will go on and have a better one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think there's there's been a bit of neglect even before COVID nineteen when it comes to Scottish comedy. So hopefully after this, that can be re- redressed. Yeah, let's let's hope. So I mean, I I, I think that BBC Scotland Channel has some good things on it, but they are missing some opportunities, um, like. 
um, a subject that I've talked to a couple of friends about recently is the is the women's football. Um, they showed the Scotland Albania game on Alba. Um, for me, that should have been BBC the BBC Scotland channel and really showcase it a bit better. Um, whereas people think, well, if you shoved it in Alba, they won't bother because you have to listen to Gaelic commentary. Now it's good that you get to you know to try and promote. Gaelic programming, you know, it is our second language apparently, um, but that's the perception that people get, and when you put something on that, there's less, less inclined to watch it, whereas I think, if you put it in BBC Scotland and really showcase it, because the Scottish women's team, in my personal opinion, deserve more recognition. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, again, I'm not entirely sure, it might be, it might be a rights issue, because I know the BBC Alba yeah. is actually a separate entity to, to BBC Scotland, and, you know, things are run quite separately um but yeah I, I totally agree i think um you know it's not it's not all bad i think some of the documentaries that have been on uh, the beauty scone channel have been very good but i think the, the actual natural programming on it um has been i mean i dread to think the money that's been wasted um on shite basically mm. um and you know, I, and I'm, I'm speaking as someone who, you know, I've got absolutely no desire to do television at all because I would need to lose about five stone for a start. But um, it's, it's actually, you know, and I admire people who are on telly. You know, Amy, who uh, I used to work with at Capital, I'm, I'm still really close with and speak to uh, regularly. And she's obviously on the nine. Um, but, you know, I, I know that there's, there's nobody's watching it. You know, no, no, nobody's watching it, and they're spending literally millions of pounds on this. And and the only thing that the only thing that gets a a decent viewership is sports scene and the live championship football, uh, and repeats a still game. So I mean, that doesn't say much for the um, for the uh, the original programming uh, that, that's coming through on it. Um, and I know there's there's a lot of talented people there. Don't get me wrong, um, but I think. Uh, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if the BBC Scotland channel wasn't here in its current form in the next sort of eighteen months because you know it's been an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, well, hopefully things will improve um, from from that side. Um, she's always saying any channels fail. I mean, we've had STV two fall, for example. Um, but yeah, come back to come back to yourself. Um, obviously, you moved on from the Soccer FM podcast. You're now doing the big Saturday um, football show with uh, you and Cameron. How did that come about? Um, it was something that had been in the works for uh, quite a while. Um, the I, I was a uh, I was previously doing twelve till two on a Saturday uh, across the Bower Network, um, which was brilliant because it's a two-hour radio show, which is very rare uh, nowadays. Um, especially a music show. I know Super Scoreboard's on for two hours, um, but that's you know speech, and it can be. Yeah. It's a bit of a slog when you're doing Super Scoreboard because I've hosted that as well. You know, you're talking for two hours, which is actually quite quite difficult. Um, but you know, like a two-hour music show on a it is almost unheard of. So, um, that was that was really good. So I was on doing Saturdays, but they always wanted to do some sort of sport show on a Saturday afternoon because uh, Super Scoreboard's obviously huge on Clyde, but then the rest of the network, um. They, they wanted to do something that was a bit bigger now. Um, I, I obviously was, um, they, they were um, good enough to let me sort of sort of uh, mould it. And, uh, and you know, Ewan's, Ewan's a, really, a really talented guy and he, 
and uh, he rubs people up the wrong way, which sometimes for a radio show is uh, is quite a good thing. Um, but actually, he's a really nice, he's a really genuine guy, and I really like him. And um, when it came down to it, we were looking at people um, for who, who was going to be my co-host, and uh, Ewan was the the obvious, the really obvious answer. He's um, he's high profile. He's he had real success with a football phone in back in the day, won awards. Mm-hmm. Um, and was you know when you look back to the football phone and it was the only thing that ever came close to beating Super Scoreboard. Super Scoreboard's a massive. Beat it, massive. to be honest. Yeah. In my personal opinion, I think the real football phone was the best um, football show on in Scotland at that time. Yeah, and, and you know, like Super Scoreboard's obviously an institution and has been on for 30, 40 years. Um, and you know, Gordon Duncan's a really talented guy. I really like Gordon. Um. And, you know, I think the show's in a, in a decent place just now, like, you know, just from an outside perspective. But, um, you know, back when the football phone was in in, a, in its pomp, it was the only thing that ever came close to beating Super Scoreboard. I mean, Super Scoreboard hammers sports sound on a nightly basis and hammers sports sound on Saturday um, in Glasgow in the West. Um, and, you know, for the football phone to even get close to that is pretty impressive. Um, and considering that you know there were the kind of underdogs as well, so you know taking on Ewan's experience is um, is is going to be beneficial for me going forward, and you know hopefully we can make the show into something big. We've got some big plans and big ideas, and hopefully uh, they'll come to fruition. And uh, and yeah, it's it's a slowly slowly thing. We're trying to build it organically. It's not going to happen overnight, so we realise that it's going to it's going to take time, but. You know, we've got a unique opportunity now because nobody's going to games, nobody's going to football matches. So they're sat in the house anyway. So, you know, it's it's about doing something that's slightly different as well. It's, we don't want to be sports sound and we don't want to be super scoreboard. We, we want to be, you know, ourselves and yeah. have a bit of a laugh, you know, and offer something different um, for for a Saturday afternoon and appeal to a wide range, you know. Uh, the Our big boss now, uh, Victoria Easton Riley, she mm. was producer of the uh, football phone-in back in the day, and you know when the listening figures came in, almost fifty percent of the listeners of the football phone-in were female. Um, I don't have the figures to hand for Sports Sound, uh, and you know, or, or Super Scoreboard, but you know, I would imagine it would be a lot less than that. And you know, it's about trying to appeal to as many people as possible. Uh, and you know, not you know, I, I don't don't get me wrong. Like I quite enjoy like talking about tactics and stuff like that. But it's not everyone's cup of tea. And people who have a passing interest in football, that's it's the sort of that's the people we're trying to go for and try and keep them entertained. You know, as you were saying earlier on, you know, it's it's about entertaining people and giving people a laugh. And you know, there's there's enough grimness going around at this moment in time so if we can if we can make people laugh on a Saturday afternoon and keep people informed as well because that is important um, but if we can keep people entertained that's the we've done our job as far as, as, far as we're concerned yeah and, and talk more about um what what's um you what's what do you think is going to make you stand out um because you've mentioned the competition at super scoreboard sports sound you've got go radio that's just I although that's only during the week at the moment um What's going to make you and, and you and stand out? I mean, are you going to be appealing to a different kind of audience? Because, as you know, most stations tend to focus on Glasgow and West Super Scoreboard have that niche. 
with you being a Dunfermline fan, you and being a Hearts fan, are you looking more at the eastern side with the stations that you're covering, or is it going to be wider than that? Well, we're on fourth one. We're on TFM. We're on MFR. We're on West FM. We're on Radio Borders. So we're, we're covering the entire country. So, um, yeah, we, we'll. For example, the Saturday show there, we, we didn't we didn't talk about Celtic or Rangers the entire that's good. The entire show. <laughs> uh, so, and 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 listen, that's not a deliberate thing. Like that's no, no. like I'm fully aware that. Celtic and Rangers are the two biggest clubs in Scottish yeah. football and have the most support. And that's that's totally fine. But it, like what we tried to do with the podcast with Soccer FM, we spoke about Celtic and Rangers, but I think if we just treat them as any other team, then that, you know, that that that'll win a lot of people over. And it's not being anti-Celtic and Rangers, it's not that at all. It's just treating them the same as everyone else. And I think yeah. that's what annoys a lot of football fans because you know, yes, they are, they're massive and they sell the most newspapers, they generate the most clicks, they, you know, generate the most colours to Super Scoreboard. I'm, I'm absolutely not arguing with that at all. And, you know, in terms of what Super Scoreboard does, it's it's a legendary show. It is the biggest football phone-in in Europe. Like, nothing can come nothing can come close to it. Um, but, you know, you look at Sports Sound and I, I, th- I think that they're... Um, well, again, there's there's a lot of talented guys there. I think that it's it's about trying to strike a right balance. And if you treat everyone the same, then nobody can complain. Now, obviously, I'm going to talk about Dunfermline um, more more than anyone else would on the radio because I'm a Dunfermline fan. And you know, Ewan's going to talk about Hearts, but we're upfront about that. Like people know I'm a Dunfermline fan, so. Yeah. What, what they expect and sort of thing and you know it's um it is about trying to be fair to to everyone apart from Falkirk and <laughs> um <laughs> and um yeah it's, it's about trying to be fair and and trying to entertain people because you've got we're, we're not trying to compete with super scoreboard and sports sounds we're, we're not what we're trying to do is gather up the majority of the other people on Saturday afternoon who, you know, we're still playing music. So there's still music on the show. We had, you know, we had Callum Beatty on last week, so a big music guest. Um, you know, it's Hibs versus Hearts on, on Saturday in the Scottish Cup semi-final. Um, so we've got some, you know, famous Hearts and Hibs fans lined up uh, for the for the weekend show um, who aren't anything to do with football. So, you know, it's about trying to appeal to uh, as many people as possible and um, not go too heavy on sort of tactics and get too serious. It, it's not too serious. It's about having a laugh and it's about entertaining people and keeping folk up to date with the football as well, because, you know, that's, that, that's, um, that's an important and a, a very large chunk of the audience, I think. Yeah, well, I think you've got to appeal to, a greater audience, you just can't, um, you can't always just focus on one thing. And I agree with Celtic and Rangers are obviously going to be the bigger pool. And it's not about treating them special to everyone else. It's about treating them the same because they are, uh, we are all the same. I mean, yes, some clubs are bigger than others. Um, but no, at the end of the day, it's, it's about treating everyone equally. Um, but yeah, so you've got, you're, this is the position you're in now. So you shot to prominence, um, at, at Capital Scotland. First of all, you were doing the news reading, um, whilst, Des Clark and uh, Jenny Black were doing the presenting. Um, just sum up your um, those early years at Capital, because that's when 
the, sh- the station really, really progressed at that point. Yeah, totally. Um, we had a lot of success at Capital. I got the job there in 2012. Or it was 2011, but I didn't start until uh, January the 3rd, 2012, was my first Capital Breakfast show uh, when I was reading the news. Um, so I'd, I'd been at university before that. Uh, I'd graduated in the, the June 2011 uh, from Stirling Uni. Um, I'd studied uh, journalism and sport. And I was working at Kingdom FM, which is a radio station in Fife, who were great with me. Um, you know, I picked up a lot of experience, met a lot of really talented folk there who have gone on to, uh, you know, like Mickey Gavin, who was the breakfast show at Kingdom FM. So he now works, uh, he's on the Greatest Hits Network. He's on the opposite opposite side from us um, at Bauer, uh, but he's a really good guy. And, uh, you know, lots of talented people. And then uh, I basically applied for the job at Capital in October, got it. There was a wee bit of fanning about with contracts and stuff like that. And then we, we started in the January. And then it just sort of it progressed from me just reading the news. And then, you know, Des would bring me in on some chat. Not all the time, but then it just got more and more and more and more. And then I just became part of the show um, over the next sort of particularly six months to a year. Um and yeah, it was some really good times. Uh, you know, uh, it was Jenny to to start with, obviously, and then Amy came in, and you know, we we were nominated for an Ari Award for Best Breakfast Show in the UK. Um, so it was like, you know, we were up against Chris Evans, uh, who was Radio Two at the time, Christian O'Connell at Absolute Radio, he was there at the time. Uh, and uh, I can't remember, it was Nick Grimshaw or Greg James, I can't remember, at Radio 1. So we were one of four uh, who were nominated for a, for, for across the UK. So, you know, we didn't win, but, you know, to, to be nominated in that company is still is still pretty impressive. And, uh, you know, we managed to, our show, and as a station, we, it was a strong lineup because we had, you know, myself, Des, Amy slash Jenny uh, in the morning, and then Gary was on uh, drive time for, I think it was 10 years, because he was on Galaxy before that as well, 10, 11 years. Um, So to keep a breakfast show and a drive time show the same for that length of time, or roughly the same for that length of time, is almost unheard of in radio. Um, So between the, the four or five of us, we managed to break every record that was on that license so Mm -hmm. you know it's definitely not going to get back to that now but uh, you know on that 105 to 106 license which is the central bell it was galaxy and xfm and beat 106 before that all the records are with us you know highest radar for share was us highest radar for reach was us it was just under 600,000 which is actually quite remarkable um, considering it's a hit music station and you know we're playing the same songs quite a lot and you know that was the thing that always we always got why do you play such and such all the time why do you play that song all the time and you know and, and the reason behind that is because in the morning the average commute time is 20 minutes mm-hmm. so people are all in the car for 20 minutes on average um, obviously there's there's people who are longer than that but they know that when they put capital on or when they used to put capital on um, they would hear their favorite song so you know you know that that's that's the reasoning behind it um, but you know for us sitting in the studio we're like Christ we're playing 
Ariana Grande three times this hour. You know, <laughs> I, I, and we had no control over that. That's it's, it's a playlist that is yeah. uh, is set elsewhere, so we couldn't change that. So we know we we knew, but to get to six hundred thousand or just under six hundred thousand listeners mm-hmm. um, is, I think, an, a phenomenal success. Um, given the format of that radio station. And uh, yes, it's, it's some really good times, really funny times as well, big guests. And, you know, it, it cut my teeth in terms of uh, being a radio presenter as well. And you were getting, a, I was getting a chance to be on, a, you know, a quasi-national um, breakfast show, which, you know, not, not a lot of people would get the chance to do that. And I did it for seven and a half years. And yeah, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it was, it was shite. And uh, there were some hard times as well. And, you know, there were some times that were really difficult, but you know, it all stands you in good stead for, uh, for your career going forward. And, um, you know, made a lot of good friends, friends that will have for life uh, at Capital. And, <clears throat> you know, it was, it was nobody's fault that it came to an end. It wasn't, it wasn't our fault. We weren't underperforming. It was, uh, as I just said, you know, we we had the record high for breakfast uh, listening. We Gary had the record high for uh, drive time listening, um, and you know, it was a decision that was that was made in London, and you know, that's the decision they um, or that's the way they wanted to take the radio station. So, um, you, you know, I, I'm quite I'm quite happy that we couldn't have done anything else to to change their minds. So. You know, there's there nothing we could have done. And listen, it's their radio station. It was it was their decision. So if that's what they want to do with it, then that's totally fine. Yeah, definitely. It's um, you know, business is um, hard, but I, I listen I listened to your show um for a good few years. I'll be honest, not because of the music, because it wasn't necessarily to, some songs were okay, but it wasn't mainly to my taste. But then I'm nearly hitting forty next year, so but we'll keep that quiet. Um, <laughs> but it's the camaraderie that you all had on air, and um, one of my, my one of my best mates, uh, Keith Keith Cranes. I don't know if you know you know Keith. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my little fan. Um, he was best mate at my wedding actually. Um, he 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 speaks a lot highly about um you know the banter that he had with, with you guys, and that certainly was personified on air. Yeah, totally. And it was, you know, that it was one of those things that, you know, we just we got on really well straight from the start. And um, you, you can definitely you can that shines through on air. And I think you're right. Our audience was actually on average a lot older than what it should have been. Um, I think our average age was something like 34. Um, and our target audience was 16 to 24. Um, so, you know, that that's, I guess it, it was good in a way because we captured quite a lot of audience from, um, you know, and, and by the way, just uh, I mentioned the 600,000 figure or just under 600, I think it was 598,000 we got to. Yeah. To put that into perspective, when XFM uh, changed into Galaxy, XFM had 185,000 listeners. So between XFM ending, which I think was 2007, 2008, and when, when we reached our peak, we, we added 400,000 listeners on to the station. So, you know, and, and that was a massive team effort. There was marketing behind that as well, obviously. And, um, you know, social media became a thing then as well, which we used to our advantage, which um, other stations weren't doing at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, I think 
breakfast shows are so important, and you see that with uh, with George uh, uh, Clyde as well. He's obviously been on air for more than twenty years doing the breakfast show, which is a hell of a shift. I mean, the the, the guy's a total legend, and uh, I was lucky enough to do some cover shifts with him last year <clears throat> before I moved on to the drive time show permanently, which was great. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, people are, you know, people are habitual. So they'll get up in the morning and they'll listen to the same things. And it's hard, it's hard to break that. Um, unless you totally change your breakfast, of course. But you know what I mean? So people, people are getting up in the morning and I know the messages we got on our final week and our final day on the breakfast show was, they were incredible because it was people who were saying, you know, I listened to you when I was at uni and now I've got a job. Now I'm married. I've got two kids and that's all happened in the, that seven and a half years. And then it was the same way, you know, Jenny got married um, when we were, when we were part of the breakfast show as well. And some of the messages that she got was were, were really nice and really touching because it was like, oh, I remember you when you were, you knew you were single and you couldn't find a man. You were down on your luck. Remember that guy? He bumped you off and all the rest of it. So people are really invested in your life. And sometimes it, is, it can be a bit strange because people will come up to you and say, oh, do you remember when you said that or you did this? And, you know, I've totally forgotten, I've totally forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that just shows you that you you know you you make a connection with people and you feel like you know listeners feel like they know you and you know from my perspective you know I, there was no lying on my part there was no making things up there was no you know maybe a wee bit of exaggeration at times but you know generally what I was saying on air was what I was feeling or um or what I was uh, what I was going through at the time you know like I I split up with people you know I had a um, an ex-girlfriend who, who I live with and I was having to, I was, uh, you know, we split up, but we're still living in the same house. I was talking about that on the radio. <laughs> but, you know, it, I mean, it was it was grim. It was terrible. Um, but, you know, it's, it's real life. And people, you, there's no substitute for authenticity when it comes to radio. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, things like that endear you to, to the audience. And, you know, not everyone's comfortable with talking about that, and that's totally fine. Um, but, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I'm a, I'm a fairly open book when mm-hmm. it comes to uh, how I am on air and how I feel about things. And I'll say, you know, within the Ofcom guidelines, <laughs> I'll say things that uh, I know um, people will agree with. And, you know, some people might not, and it might piss them off, but, you know, that's, you know, you can't please everyone all the time. What Once you get to the stage of being a radio presenter and you realize that not everyone's going to like you you know some people will find me deeply annoying or think i'm a prick or you know think i'm i think i'm arrogant or think i'm smug or whatever you know like but that's totally fine because you know you can't you can't please everyone and that's that's just that you know i have that about tv presenters that i don't like or or other radio presenters that i don't particularly like so you know that's only natural and i know that if you were to actually meet the person you'd you'd probably think, oh, actually, that person's a decent, you know, they're, they're fairly decent. But I think I think you're right. The, the camaraderie that we had on air, um, it just, <laughs> the messages that we got in the final day, and it was just simple stuff like, mm-hmm. you made me laugh in the morning when I was having a shit day. And that's, that is the most important thing, and that's, 
if if we can make someone feel a little bit better in the morning, then yeah, that's that's job done as far as I'm concerned. Oh, without without doubt. Um, I mean, you must have um, got on well well enough with your co-presenters, etc. That Des Clark asked you to be his best man um, <laughs> at his wedding. <laughs> um, I remember that debate. Should it be Stephen or his um, um, pal for skill for years ago? But and it ended up being you. I remember that debate. Um, I also remember when my 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 brother's missus was, um, had given birth to her second ch- child in a casino car park in Edinburgh, and my brother was interviewed about it. Um, I remember things like that. It was just a, just a tremendous show um, at the time. And you mentioned uh, Jenny. So she gets pregnant and you get the you get moved up. How did you find that step up from newsreader to presenter? Was it just easy because you already had that connection? Yeah. Um, and, you know, Jenny, um, you know, decided to... You know, do something else with her life. She's working at the BBC Scotland Channel now. She's uh, she's the continuity person in between the in between the um, in between the shows, and uh, she she took a year off and ended up. You know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what happened. To be perfectly honest with you, but they asked me to to step up to to be the co-host effectively and take me off the news, which was fine. Um, you know. <laughs> bizarrely when the show ended I ended up going back and reading the news for two or three months because uh, I was in between, well, I wasn't in between jobs I had a job reading the news but I was in between Capital and going to Clyde that was, it took a little bit longer than I anticipated but uh, yeah it was fine because I was you know I was uh, I was on the show anyway and uh, it made sense uh, and we were bringing Amy in who joined us from STV and you know Amy's Super talented, really, really yeah. talented girl, and you know she's going to be she's going to be on the telly for for a long time. She's she's yeah. really good, and she's yeah. such a nice person as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, I mean it was really it was no problem to me, and it's what I'm doing just now. So I'm obviously okay at it. So. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're doing something right. Yeah, um, yeah, Amy, Amy, as well. We actually, um, oh, I, I spoke to her dad recently, David Irons, um, a few weeks Hi. ago. Um, he he was a he was a good guy. He played for Dunfermline as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll bring. So, when you were leaving Capital, obviously they made the decision um, to basically centralise everything down south because I think they changed it to just one um, Scottish presenter during Scottish show um, during the day. I feel as though when stations do that, Real did the same. That that was the reason why I stopped listening to Real Radio, to be honest, is because I like the local identity when I'm listening to a radio station. That's just a personal preference of mine. Um, But do you think that was, um, I mean, how how sad were you when you were told that your shift had ended, basically? Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, obviously I was a big guy, but, you know, as I said earlier on, it's, it's their radio station, <laughs> you know. They they, they, can, they can do what they want with it, so um, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, it, it doesn't really matter what I think, to be honest. Um, and you know, these things these things happen. You know, I, I'm, I'm quite philosophical about it, to be perfectly honest with you, because mm-hmm. um, there's nothing I could have done to change it. Like they were never going to. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of radio stations that are based in London. Um, and Capitals obviously, you know, Capitals a massive brand and has been around in London for many, many years. And then when they rolled out across the UK, you know, th- they did so many things right um, in terms of how they organised the company without getting into like mega detail. They did a lot of things right, but one thing 
is the Scotland was just another region of the UK. Like it, they didn't see a difference between us and you know Birmingham. Mm-hmm. So, so you're you're fighting a losing battle if that's the mindset. And you know it, it wasn't. Um, I don't. I don't think it was a. a it wasn't a cost cutting measure. Like you know, the, the the company was making money and stuff like that. It wasn't. It wasn't a cost cutting thing. It was because they wanted. They, they felt that having a breakfast show coming from London, um, with Roman Kemp, who's obviously pretty high profile, they could get all the big guests on. You know, they could have bigger competitions, which you know, like that's that's fine. Um, but I I think they they underestimate the connection between listeners in Scotland and the actual radio presenters and the radio shows because you're right I think having a Scottish voice on makes a difference and it wasn't as if we were shite like we were quite good so you you know what I mean like it wasn't as if we were um, terrible radio presenters because we weren't and we're not because you know we're still all working for a start and decent jobs Um, but you know that's that's what they decided to do. So yeah, it, it was sad that it came to an end. Um, you know, seven and a half years is an amazing run on a breakfast show um, yeah. for anyone. You know, you think you know Chris Moyles did eight years on the Radio One Breakfast Show, and he's held up as a big sort of you know breakfast show legend. And you know Chris Evans only did three or four years on the Radio Two Breakfast Show. So to do seven and a half is a is a fairly decent shift. And yeah, it was sad that it came to an end, but there was nothing we could do. So, you know, I, I honestly, I, I was, I was philosophical about it all. And uh, I knew that I would get work because, yeah. because of the work that we'd done on the breakfast show. And I knew that people liked what we did. So I had faith in myself that I'd be able to get something else. And, and I did. So it was fine. Yeah, that's important. And you're obviously in a good place now, which is good. Um, so we're obviously a Scottish football forums. Um, so we've got to um, bring up your football story. So you're a big time Fairland fan. Um, just describe, where did your love of football first um, first begin? And um, what lured you into Dunfermline? Was it a local um, team connection? Yeah. Um, so my family are all from uh, Dunfermline or the local area. Um, and... Uh, my granddad played with Dunfermline back in the sort of late fifties, um, before we got good. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, so so yeah, I mean it was just it was it was your local team, and you know it was funny. I was speaking to some, in fact, I was speaking to you about this on Saturday, and he was talking about why he supported Hearts, and he was like because he was like because it was the local team to where I grew up, uh-huh. and. He asked me whether there was a lot of Celtic and Rangers fans at my school, and I was like, "Yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, it's like anywhere else. There was yeah. there was some Rangers and Celtic fans, but I'd probably say the majority of people were Dunfermline fans, which mm-hmm. I guess is quite unusual, particularly in the west of Scotland. Like uh, I would imagine in places like you know Hamilton and Motherwell, it's probably quite mm-hmm. difficult to, um, you know, when you've got the, those two on your doorstep. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's still buses that leave to go to Ibrox and Parkhead every. Every, every weekend, but uh, from Dunfermline, but I think, um, yeah, it was it was just it, we lived abroad when I was younger as well. Uh, we lived in Dubai, and I came we came back when I was I think five or something. So I just started going along at the games, and you know my dad would take me, and then my granddad would take me. Um, so yeah, like it was just I remember going and we, we were playing Dundee United. I I remember. 
um, and it was like 4-3 or something. And it was the old terrace in the East End Park. And then I was there, I was there the day we won the league against Airdrie. Mark Miller scored the penalty. Bert Payton's uh, uh, season, 95-96, uh, where unfortunately Norrie McCarthy had died mm. um, in the in the January. I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I, if I had any sort of strong memories of that. Um, but I remember the end of the season, we had to beat Airdrie on the final day mm-hmm. and we beat them 2-1. Uh, and I remember being at that game, and you know, <clears throat> it's funny. It's funny. You know, you watch battles that it's almost like your mind plays tricks on you because you know I, I don't remember a lot from the game to be perfectly honest with you because I was only mm-hmm. five and a half, six, mm-hmm. and um, but I've watched it back. It's on YouTube, like the highlights. Sports scene. Jock Brown was the commentator. And, you know, like, uh, this will put Dunfermline in the Premier Division when he's taking the penalty. And, you know, there's stuff like that that I just, you know, I associate with it now. Um, and then, you know, going forward, we were up and down from the from the, um, from the the Premier Division. One of my earliest memories of going to a Dunfermline match was when we drew with Celtic, when Celtic were trying to stop 10 in a row. Yes, Craig Falkenbridge. Craig Falkenbridge, yeah. And I I was there, my dad, my dad's mate Gordon. And it was the it was the final game at East End Park with Terrison mm-hmm. um before it was redeveloped. Right. And I just remember shitting myself because I'd never seen so many people in my life. Like there was I always remember that it was a it was a really it was a Sunday. It was a really hot day, really sunny, and I always remember <clears throat> the home end, which is now the Norrie end, uh, East End, and all of them Dunfermline fans were sort of crammed in to a wee bit. There must have been maybe, I don't know, three or 4,000 Dunfermline fans crammed into this wee bit, and the rest of the stadium was all Celtic fans, because had they won that day, they would have won the league. Um, and Simon Donnelly, I scored. I think he scored mm-hmm. after like ten minutes or something like that. And I just remember there was a ma- the the old uh, terrace in the away end of Dunfermline. It didn't have a roof on it. And I just remember it was a blazing hot day, rammed, absolutely rammed with Celtic fans, and they had a massive like Irish flag with a Celtic badge on it, and they were mm-hmm. carrying it over the over the away end. Yeah. And it's it's one of my it's one of the most striking memories. And I just remember, like, me and my dad have spoken about this, like, since. And, like, I was, I was just shite myself because I was, like, I'd, I'd never heard noise like that. And then, obviously, Craig Falkenbridge, like, I can I can see I can see the ball going in. You know, it was a big high ball from the sort of near the dugout, way at the back post, and then just this looping header. Jonathan Gould was in goals for Celtic. And I can still see it sort of just looping in and my gra- and my dad like picking me up and, and cheering and like I just remember the utter devastation. Like because there, there was just a there was no segregation really. Mm-hmm. It was just like two policemen standing like, you know, a pair of policemen on each step Aye. separating the fans. And I just remember the Celtic fans weren't even going mental or anything. Like obviously all the Dunfermline fans were giving it like yeah. right up in their faces. Not me, but you know, a lot of them were. <laughs> and the police were probably struggling to hold them back. And the Celt- I just remember the Celtic fans, they weren't reacting because they were just like, shit, we fucked it. 
we've we've okay. totally fucked this league. And I just remember looking over and all the Celtic fans were like head in hands. And that guy Craig Falkenbridge, and you know, I've um I've I've done some stuff with uh, the SFA uh, where I've been lucky enough to you know interview former Scotland players and yeah. uh, I think Jackie McNamara played that day uh, and Simon Donnelly obviously played that day and I've interviewed them both and every time like you know I've mentioned it to them and they'll go Craig Falkenbridge like it's, it's like it's seared into their memory even though they won the league the, league after, the week after they beat St Johnson um, like Simon Donnelly was like I he was like, Craig Falkenbridge robbed me of the chance to score a title-winning goal. Yeah. He was like, I'll never, ever forgive him for that. And bizarrely <laughs> enough, one of my, um, in fact, my flatmate uh, used to work with Travel Lodge and he was working down south somewhere and I can't remember where it was, somewhere just outside London. And there was some National League game on. It was on a Wednesday night. He'd been like seconded down there or something. So he went along and Craig Falkenbridge was playing up front for them. And, I was, and this was only, this was maybe four or five years ago. He was like 39 or something. I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my sort of like abiding first memory. Um, that game against Celtic, which was, which was wild. And um, yeah, that was, that was my, that was my memories of the old East End anyway. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, in the noughties was probably um, a time where you maybe remember to see more and under yeah. Jimmy Caldwell who later went on to my, uh, my team Aberdeen um, he um, <laughs> certainly got some film punching above their weight without doubt fourth place finish in a Scottish Cup final just what's your memories of that um, era? Brilliant time brilliant players um, at that point you know I if you could transport that team to Maybe not now, but maybe you know when when Rangers were you had to start again in the third division, and it was just Celtic in the top flight. If you if you could transport that Dunfermline team from 2003 to now, we would have been no far away from winning the league. I don't think because it was it was such a good team, and you know we were me and my mates were spoiled because we were. 13, 14, we were getting trains and buses to go to the away games and, um, you know, just an amazing time uh, to follow them Fairman. Calderwood had us playing fantastic football um, and just a really, really amazing time to be a Dunfermline fan because we were going into games just expecting to win. I think <clears throat> outside Celtic and Rangers, we were unbeaten at home for two years or something. Or there was some ridiculous stat like that. Yeah, and you know, uh, you know, I think in the other games that, that stick out, mentioned Celtic. There, we beat Rangers two 0 uh, It was a live BBC game, and Paul Vanoli scored an own goal. It's a great um, goal. hilarious <laughs> own goal. But again, you, you, like I mind being there with my granddad, and it, it's it's just weird the wee things you you remember, like, and I, and again, I think your your mind plays tricks on you a wee bit as well, because I've heard the commentary for that game so much as well it was David Begg who was doing it for BBC Radio Scotland and I can almost I can recite I can recite the commentary because I've heard it so many times um, you know like flicked on by Brewster first time crack and finish by Stevie Crawford he's 11th goal of the season you know it, it's stuff like that and then the Pilvinoli on goal it's 
you know, uh, heads across the six-yard line, appeals for handball, the ball's in the net, the ball's in the net, an astonishing home goal by Paolo Vinoli. Uh, no Hunt claims the credit there, but I think Vinoli, you know, I think Vinoli, I think was the man that got the final touch. You know, it's just like, um, these are like absolute peak, peak Dunferman times. And it's sort of, it's probably skewed my opinion of many teams uh, in Scottish football because, you know, I did the podcast with Ray and, He's obviously a big Partick Thistle fan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Partick Thistle are a really diddy team because at that time we were going and pumping Partick Thistle, you know, like that sort of peak time of Dunfermline from about 99 to 2004 when we were finishing top six. You know, I was like, Partick Thistle, who are they? Um, whereas, you know, I've probably come to realise now that while I think that we've been underachieving, certainly for the last few years, um you know, we're all a much a muchness. You know, you've mm. got Celtic Rangers, you've got Hibs Hearts, Aberdeen, Dundee United, maybe. And then the rest is just all a bit meh. You know, we're, we're all a bit the same. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though Kilmarnock and Motherwell have been in the top flight for, you know, ages and haven't been relegated, yeah, I, I would still class them firm on as, as a similar size of club as a Kilmarnock or Motherwell or something like that. Um, even though they've been far more successful than us over the last 15 years. Um, but yeah, great times watching uh, Jimmy Calder with Dunfermline. Uh, really, really just, he came over from Holland and <laughs> what a lot of folk actually forget is that he was we were actually in the first division when he was appointed. Mm-hmm. And Dick Campbell was the manager and we were top of the league when they sacked Dick Campbell <laughs> and, they, and they brought in uh, Jimmy Calderwood and we finished second. Uh, St Mirren beat us to the title. Tom Hendry, St Mirren yeah. uh, beat us to the title. Um, and actually, I remember a, a really vivid memory is beating St Mirren 2-0 at Love Street. Stevie Crawford, I think, scored twice. Certainly scored once and it was a screamer. Um, and he was on loan from Hibs that season. Uh, Crawford was a, just a really, really intelligent player as well. Really, really mm-hmm. just great footballer. Um, and him and Brewster were I'll get onto that later on, but yeah. him and Bristol were just sometimes unplayable. Right. Um, but yeah, so that first division season, we ended up losing the league, but I can't remember why. It was because there was meant to be some sort of playoff, but Falkirk obviously... I know the story because we were involved. Um, ah, yes. <laughs> yes. Is that Ebby Scovdale? Was that Ebby Scovdale? Yes, Ebby, God rest his soul. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, that season, they were increasing the league from 10 teams to 12. Um, so... But the scenario was the top one was still getting promoted from the first division, and then it was to be a three a three um, game playoff between Aberdeen, Dunfermline, and Falkirk, and whatever two were the top out of that three were going to stay in the Premier League. Um, but because Falkirk didn't have the stadium, they they weren't allowed to compete. So it ended up they just um, promoted Dunfermline, kept Aberdeen in the top flight. People say that Aberdeen avoided relegation that season. Technically, they didn't because relegate. It only they avoided the playoff. That's what the um, whether we would have come through or not. I don't know, but um, well, that's, that's the best I, I had. I mean, if you were playing them firm in a playoff, I mean, we are absolutely shite at playoffs. So well, we beat you. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, so um, so yeah, it was good to get up into the league uh, to to begin with, and then you know you look back and you think we're paying players four or five grand a week. We're signing the young brothers from Aberdeen. Uh, you know, we're signing Scott Wilson, who had been playing in the Champions League for Rangers, uh, you know, earlier on that season. 
you know, it's, it was unsustainable and we we're only getting crowds of five, six thousand. Um, so, so yeah, like it was, it was unsustainable looking back, but I can't deny that it wasn't fun, <laughs> you know, going to the Scottish Cup final. Uh, and, you know, it's just, again, it was a shame uh, for, for that final because Greg Shields was cup tied. Scott Thompson, uh, who was one of my favourite players, and good it was an absolute disgrace that he never got a Scotland cap as far as I'm concerned. He was phenomenal. He, he, like You think of the absolute donkeys that got Scotland caps under Bertie Vokes, <laughs> and Scott Thompson didn't get one. And I'm like, like and Scott Thompson was a, a, honestly such a good player. Um, and, and, could, and he could play about four or five positions. He could play up front one week, and then the next week he'd play centre half, and then he could play left back. He could play on the right wing the following week. He, he was so versatile and, you know, a good guy as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, yeah, just um, a, a really, a really, really good time to be supporting Dunfermline. And, uh, yeah, that cup final, um, we were missing, as I, as I say. Uh, Scott Wilson was, was out as well. So along the back line, we had Skelly. Was suspended or was he injured? He was injured. Um, we had Skerla. We had Aaron Labont, mm-hmm. um, who fell over for the equaliser goal. But up until that point, had been tremendous. Um, we played Richie Byrne at left back. I think Barry Nicholson played at right back that day. Um, and it was, again, blazing hot day. Hamden, Scottish Cup final, classic, you know, sort of like perfect day for football, pitched like a bowling green and go 1-0 up through Skerla. Brilliant. Uh, just before half time, played really well, had a really good chance. Crawford had a really good chance um, and so did Brewster. <clears throat> okay. And then the second half, you know, we should have a penalty. Uh, Bobo Baldy, Punch the ball clear from a uh, from a corner. Chris Sutton hooks it clear straight from that, and Anne Lebon falls over. Larson runs and makes it one one. So you know these are uh, very fine margins. <clears throat> uh, I'm not not to say that if we'd gone two and all up or we would have scored the penalty. You know I know there's a lot of variables in there, but um, we had a really good solid team at that point, and I would have fancied us to to cling on because we'd beaten Celtic. At Parkhead, yeah. a few weeks before that, and mm-hmm. um, we beat them two one, and yeah, so it, it was uh, <clears throat> it was really disappointing not to not to win that final. But looking back at the Celtic team, the Celtic team was tremendous. Like you know, it was Larson, it was St- I, I remember one of the, the the best performances I've ever seen from a football player was still in Petrov, and it was that cup final. He was yeah. immense, like absolutely immense. And then you still had Sutton, you had Hartson, you had Lennon at his peak as well, who was, you know, just a, an absolute like warrior in the middle of the park. Yeah. <clears throat> and a really strong defensive line. And, uh, you know, we pushed them pretty close that day, but unfortunately it wasn't to be. Yeah, definitely wasn't them, but you gave a good account of yourselves. Um, you end up having another couple of cup finals against Celtic as well. Um, the mm-hmm. one under Leishman, I don't think you turned up in that final against them. That was one of the worst games of football I've ever seen in my life. We were so shite that day, so mm-hmm. shite. We had one shot and goal, which was early on, I think, for Mark Burchill. Um, and that was it. And I mean, even Dion Dublin scored. I mean, fuck's sake. <laughs> Dion Dublin scoring against you when he's about 40 years old. I mean, 
time to give up. The, the final in 2007 under Stephen Kenny was great. Um, I mean, it wasn't a great game, but we'd been relegated that season. And then we, we played Celtic in the Cup what final. I was going to keep you up that season at one point. No, because you yeah, beat Motherwell 4-1 and you thought the great escapes on and you lose to Cali Thistle. I would, uh, I would class that as my probably, you know, right up there as some of my favourite times following Dunfermline because, again, we were going we we're going places and just beating teams. And we, 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 were, we were rank. We were so bad virtually all season. And then we just went on this amazing run. Unfortunately, uh, St Mirren had also been gash for most of that season, uh, sparked themselves into some sort of run as well. They beat Falkirk on a Monday night. I remember watching it with my granddad. It was on Satana. And uh, they went to Falkirk and beat them. Um, and then, but we, we were on a decent run. We beat Dundee United at home, we beat Kilmarnock, uh, we beat Motherwell at home, as you mentioned, um, and then went up to Inverness, got the bus up to Inverness, supporters bus up to Inverness. Jim McIntyre scored an absolute screamer. We were 1 0 up, and Motherwell were beating St. Mirren 2 0. So we're like, great, that's us, we're saved, brilliant. And then Doris De Vries was in goals for us, made a mistake. Who, and he'd been brilliant for us that season, kept us in a lot of games, made a howler, 1-1 with 30 bits, and then the news came through from Fur Park that St Mirren had got back to 2-2, and I think they eventually won 3-2. Mm-hmm. And I think fucking Colin Meldrum was in goals for Motherwell or stuff, and then was chucking them in. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it was probably, we, we'd been clinging on in the Premier League for probably about three seasons at that point. Yeah. So we'd rode our luck a bit. Because uh, under Leishman, it, it wasn't great. And we nearly went down under David Hay and then Leishman came in at the end of the season mm. and kept us up. Um, beat Dundee United at Tanadice. Great game. Dundee United battered us. I don't think we had a shot on goal. And then Mark Kerr scored an on goal in the 92nd minute and we won 1-0. And it was it was one of the, the best celebrations I remember. <laughs> like, it was just sheer relief because that was pretty much us up. We beat Dundee 5-0 the week before. Um but yeah, I think uh, you know we'd been riding our luck a bit um, by the time Stephen Kenny came in, and it didn't work out. You know, the, the guy's gone on and had a pretty decent career back in Ireland, and he's now Republic coach. Not going so well now, but um, you know, it just didn't click for whatever reason. Just didn't happen. So um, yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was that sort of period, and then you move on to yeah, Martin Hardy, Martin Hardy, um, absolute legend, mm-hmm. um, single-handedly. Won us, won us the title pretty much uh, the first division he scored something like 10 goals in 12 games towards the end of the season phenomenal um, and that game against Wraith Rovers uh, which I was actually steaming absolutely steaming that game <laughs> we'd got hospitality and there'd been a mix up what happened is we were meant to be in the hospitality at the stadium and they'd overbooked it and we were like shit because it was there was eleven thousand folk there, like you know, it was it was a sellout, and we'd been assured of tickets and stuff, so we're like, right, that's fine. So what they did was they sent us to an Italian restaurant in Dunfermline and just gave us a credit card. So obviously we went wild. <laughs> we, we turned up at twelve o'clock. We must have had about fourteen bottles of wine between us. Got to the game, steaming, and then obviously we'll win the game. Uh, you know, we were we were better than. Wraith Rovers that season that, like, it was actually incredible how they managed to push us so far 
they kept on getting late winners and late goals. I always remember looking fucking that was like jammy bastards. Every <laughs> week it was a ninety second minute, they'd get a winner, they'd get an equalizer, for fuck's sake. But we we had a we had a pretty decent team. Um and Martin Hardy was just icing on the top. Just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant times. And um since then it's been a bit pish. Yeah, but there's a chink of light this season. Um, for, for me, from observe, observing, um, I think outside Hearts, I think Dunfermline's got one of the best squads in the league. I think you've recruited well. Like you said, Declan McMahon, I think, is a smashing sign up front. Dom Thomas is a terrific w- winger. Stephen Whitaker provides some um, experience. Um, are you confident that you can, at the very least, be one of those top four? Yeah, I think we'll be in the playoffs. I think uh, I think Hearts will win the league. Um, or they should. It'd be a catastrophic failure if they didn't win the league. Yeah. But I think they will. Um, and then you've got us, Dundee, uh, Ayr, Inverness. You know, there's a sort of... Uh, uh, any three of that, I think, will be in the playoffs. And if we can finish second, I'll fancy our chances this season because we'll have played far fewer games than the Premiership teams uh, who have obviously got a full season. Because that's always the thing that's sort of levelled against the mm-hmm. the championship team that they have to play loads of games in a short space of time. So, um, yeah, I think we're looking pretty decent. Um, you know, there's still a couple of areas I think we're probably still a wee bit short up front. I, we could probably be doing with someone else uh, in case anyone gets injured. But you know, I I, I, I I'm lucky enough that I, I work for Dunfermline as well. I don't get paid. Uh, I do it because I want to do it and yeah. I can lend them my sort of expertise, if you will. Um, but I, I, I can't say enough how much I want Stevie Crawford to succeed um, because he's he's such a nice guy and he, he, he absolutely loves Dunfermline. He loves Dunfermline and the happiest times in his playing career were at Dunfermline. Um, you know, even though he, he won the, the Coca-Cola Cup with the Rovers, but you know, so many good times at, at Dunfermline, and I, he's I don't think, when we were going through a pretty sticky spell last season, and it's the you know, I, I, I realise I'm privileged because I, I get to see what goes on behind the scenes, or not everything but a lot the amount of work that people put in is is incredible, and the amount of work that I know Stevie Crawford puts into trying to get it right. Now he's not going to get everything right. And I just I just hope that he succeeds because he, he's a he's a top guy and I do think he's a he's a decent coach and he's got a good football and brain and he always had that as a football player. And I think he's got that as a manager as well. And he just thankfully he's been given time because there was a couple of points last season where it was you know, we got off to a shocking start. I think we didn't win in our first five. And, you know, we're, they're, they're trying to build something different, especially with the new owners coming in. Um, a sort of more sustainable model with younger players that we can sell on, like Kevin Nisbet, who hopefully gets a £20 million transfer uh, <laughs> soon from Hibs, um, who's, who, who, by the way, is going to be... Nisbet's going to have a very good career in football. You know, he'll, if he, he'll push in Scotland squad, I think. Hopefully. Um, but I think even even more so, I think he'll go down south and he'll do really well. I was actually hoping that he would sign for some shite down south, like, I don't know, Lincoln or Shrewsbury, 
and batter in about 35 goals because he's capable of that and some championship team would pay 18 million for him or something so um, I think he's going to have a really good career he's a nice guy as well and yeah I, I just I think things are finally looking uh, up again at Dunfermline and after you know some pretty tough times over the last five years six years um, where uh, and again you know like the, the chairman uh, Ross MacArthur is, is such a nice guy um, and puts so much work in, you know, and, and I think there's there's a lot of misconceptions about uh, football because, you know, they, I think a lot of fans look at bigger teams or teams down south and think, yeah. oh, they're just taking money out of the club or, or, or stuff like that. And, you know, they're not. Like, they're absolutely not. All these guys are doing it for free. Um, they're doing it because they love the club and they want the club to succeed. And, yeah, they'll get things wrong. Of course they'll get things wrong, though, you know. I think with the benefit of hindsight, uh, Alan Johnson wouldn't have got a new contract uh, mm-hmm. when he managed to sneak us into the playoffs. But, you know, that's that's a mistake that you make. Um, so, yeah, I think that we're on the right track. And having spoken with the German investors, I was lucky enough to interview them for the club. You know, I'm fairly, I'm fairly pleased and happy with where I think the club's going. And I think they do have the, the best intentions going forward because... You know, we need to be back in the top flight. And as I was saying earlier on, we've been skittering about in the championship for ages and we're down in League One for three years, which was, I mean, just pish. Um, A terrible league. And then, you know, the championship isn't much better. The the standard's pretty poor, I think. Um, And we just need to get up into the Premiership and stabilise because I think once you're in, you can see that, you know, even clubs like Hamilton have been up for five or six years now and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and fair, fair play to them, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot of people slag off Hamilton and I think, you know, what they've done is brilliant. Yeah, um, uh, so, yeah, it's just about getting back into the, the Premiership and, and trying to stabilise there because, you know, I, I hate when pundits are like, you know, it was a particular way with Hearts this season or Dundee United last season, you know, they should be in the Premiership. Well, well no, they shouldn't because they got relegated. So yeah. that's not how it works. So, you know, I'm sitting here. I'm wishing Dunfermline to be back in the Premiership, but you need to earn it. Like, you know, you don't you don't just get it because you've got a nice stadium or you've got a club with a lot of history that's successful. You know, you have to earn it. And I think that we're on the right track, I think, within the next two or three years and you know, what the German investors were saying, they were saying, very interestingly, their language was, we're trying to increase the probability of us getting promotion. We're not guaranteeing promotion. We're trying to increase the probability of it. And I like that because yeah. it's about getting all the building blocks in place to give you the best chance of getting promoted. And I think that's important. Yeah, definitely. And um We'll wait and see how, how things go in this season, but it's certainly looking more promising, certainly the most promising it's been for um, eight or nine years. Um, so I'll round off, I've enjoyed the chat, um, but I'll round off a few quite fair questions. Um, first of all, um, what's your favourite tipple? Tenants, penny tenants, basic bitch, basic bitch. <laughs> <laughs> nice and simple. Um, right, what, would, what would be your um, death row meal? Oh, that's a tough one. I've spoken about this a lot because I like morbid conversations. Um, I'd probably go for some sort of curry. Like I, I love an Indian curry. I love 
like I, I'm, I like I like cooking. Um, you know, I, I cook quite a lot, and um, one of my favourites is uh, a sort of Sri Lankan style curry. Yeah. So maybe something like that, naan bread, butter chicken. Oh, amazing as well. Just like something like that. Something, something that, um, yeah, something tasty for a final meal, definitely. Definitely, yeah, you've got to. Um, what's the best um, on-air wind-up that you've been part of? Whoa, it's a tough one. There's been a few. Um, there was one earlier on this year where Gary shaved all, all of his, he shaved his hair off during lockdown, and I managed to get the bosses to. Um, Sent through an email about a photo shoot the next day because he honestly he looked like he looked horrendous, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know I'm not doing it justice here, but his reaction was hilarious. We had it all filmed and stuff. And he was going mental. He was like, "Well, I mean, I, I can't, I can't look at the statement. Look at the statement." Um, so you know that's the first one that comes to mind. I'm sure there've been more over the years that I can I, I can't really remember off the top of my head, but there, there have been a few. Good stuff. Um, who, who's more likely to um, get you in trouble with the law on a lad's holiday, you and Cameron or Des Clark? No, you and Cameron. Unbelievable. I mean, Des doesn't drink, so I mean, not not that Ewan's an alky or anything. He's not, but uh, uh, Ewan doesn't really drink either. But I think Ewan's more likely to say something that would get us into trouble. Yeah, definitely. Um, what's, who's the best opponent that you've seen in the flesh? Well, I mentioned Stylian Petrov um, earlier on, but I was lucky enough to see us play Spain, uh, Scotland uh, versus Spain mm-hmm. at Hamden. And I just remember watching them warm up and it was like, this is incredible. Like they just, they look like they've got so much time. Same with Belgium as well. Seeing us play Belgium last year and Kevin De Bruyne was, mm-hmm. I mean, out of this world. He, yeah. I can't remember what goal it was. I mean, they beat us three or four now, I think Fourth it was. One. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember who he was running against. I think it was like Ryan Christie, who's not a slouch. And he just absolutely swan past them. And, you know, De Bruyne, that performance that day was was definitely up there. He was phenomenal. Who's your favourite Dunfermline players? Now or of all time? Of all time. In your time um, as a fan? I'd have to pick three. Um... First one would be Andres Skerla, uh, who scored the goal against Celtic in the cup final. Yeah. Absolute brilliant defender. Um, you know, we signed him from PSV. So, I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is a story, you know, when you think back, which is just mental. Um, great defender, was there for seven or eight years as well. <clears throat> Lovely guy. Um, but yeah, just loved him. Thought he was great. Just... Uh, yeah, just a, a really, really great defender. And then the other two would be Crawford and Brewster because they're the they should have been playing up front for Scotland. Like nothing will ever convince me otherwise. During that period when we had Pish like Kevin Kyle up front mm-hmm. and uh who was the guy's name? Uh, Scott Doby. Okay, yeah. Like you know, like absolute like donkeys. And then you had Crawford fair enough, Crawford was in the squad. I think Crawford ended up getting twenty five, twenty six caps. Yeah. But he would have scored a lot more goals. And we would have qualified for tournaments, I think, if we'd had Crawford and Brewster up front because they were they were phenomenal. They had this telepathy um that you don't often find with um front twos. And you know, Craig Brewster, I think it's testament he played until he was about forty three or something. Mm-hmm. 
he was such an intelligent football player. He was so good. His touch, his balance, he was great in the air. Just such a clever, clever football player. And the runs that Stevie Crawford made um, were phenomenal. And, you know, I think it would be unfair. Like, a lot of people said that Brewster made Crawford when he was at Dunfermline. But Crawford had a very good career, like, outside yeah. that as well. And, um, yeah, Brewster brought the best out in him. But, uh, yeah, th- those two were just just fantastic. I mean, there's lots of Dunfermline players that I, I could go into. Scott Thompson as well. Honourable mention for Scott Thompson, brilliant player. Yeah, I, I totally agree that Craig Brewster should have been that Scotland squad at that point. We consider who we were calling up at that point. Um, oh, yeah. what, was, what, was your, what would you say was your um, favourite Dunfermline game? Hmm. Favourite Dunfermline game? Martin Hardy game was was good. That Dundee United game that I mentioned when we won one now up at Tannadice. That that has to be up there as well because it was you know we were staring at the abyss and uh, and they battered us. Stevie Crawford was playing up front for Dundee United that day and Derek Stilley was in goals for us and was phenomenal. Like had an, an amazing uh, game that day. Um, yeah, I'd, pr- I'd probably have to go for the Martin Hardy game, though. Probably have to go for Martin Hardy. Yeah. And I'll round up. You knew this was coming. Um, what's your um, best 11 from a Dunfermline point of view from your lifetime? Right. Uh, in goals, um, we've actually had some pretty decent keepers over the years. I mentioned Derek Stilly there. I can't pick him for political reasons now. Um, but uh, <laughs> in terms of other goalkeepers, you know, we had Alan McGregor on loan for a season. Um who is obviously a fantastic keeper. Doris De Vries was very good as well. Um, with a guy called Marco Rutenbeek, uh, Dutch guy, big Dutch guy, who played in goals. And when he fell out of favour, this was under Jimmy Calderwood, he used to do the warm-up, he used to warm-up at half-time and he used to just do overhead kicks all the time. And then I met him in a nightclub in Dunfermline once in Harlem and I was like, fucking hell, it's Marco Rutenbeek. Um, but in terms of actual good, good goalkeepers, um, I'd probably have to go for I'd probably have to go for Alan McGregor because I think he was the best that I um, could see at that time. In terms of a backline, Skerla straight in there. Uh, Scott Thompson would have to be in there as well. Probably play him at right back. Um, then I'd probably, in fact, no, in fact, no. I'd play I'd play Scott Thompson at left back. I'd play Greg Shields at right back, and I'd play Scott uh, Scott Wilson uh, alongside Skerla. Uh, in the middle. I, I could have gone for Yusuf Rossi. I don't know if you remember Yusuf Rossi as well. <laughs> Centre half, an absolute head case, um, who was a phenomenal player. Played against Scotland at the 98 World Cup for Morocco. Great Did you mention that game? <laughs> uh, and he he was great. Had a really bad knee injury and then we uh, we signed him uh, when he was you know still rehabilitating. Came in the, came in the team. Scored uh, an absolutely brilliant goal against Aberdeen. I seem to remember at East End. It was a really foggy day, cut inside, hitting his right foot. So, yeah, that's tough. That's tough, actually. So, mm-hmm. honourable mention for him, but I'll stick with that back four. Yeah. Emsey in midfield. Barry Nicholson has to be in there. Mm-hmm. Brilliant player. Um, I'd probably go for Gary Mason. Um, solid. Never gave the ball away. Great at breaking up the play. Brilliant. I'd have to put Martin Hardy in there. Um and then I'd go for I'd go for three up front. So I would go 
Brewster and Crawford and No Hunt. Um, mm. No Hunt, we had him, he, Jimmy Calder signed him from some team in Ireland, Shamrock Rovers, I think, maybe. Um, and he was raw, really raw. And I remember us playing Rangers at East End and he just came on and wound up Barry Ferguson so much that I think Ferguson either got subbed off or he got he got sent off um, because Hunt was just being an absolute nuisance. Uh, so yeah, that that probably that probably sum it up for me. And who'd manage that team? I take it's going to be Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, I think it has to be. Um, just really switched on. Uh, would do mental stuff like play two at the back. Two four four famously. Um, oh. Sometimes worked, sometimes didn't work. I remember I seen get uh, we got beat seven, I think it was seven one or seven two by Hearts at Tincastle. Uh, but then I remember us starting two four four against Rangers midweek and we're two 0 up at half time. Um, I think Scott Thompson scored twice actually. Um, so yeah, I think it would have to be have to be the two Jimmys, I would imagine. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sad that um, obviously. Jimmy's not keeping very well at this moment yeah. in time. Um, so that's, that's sad to see because he was uh, um, he was a bit unlucky, I think, mm-hmm. uh, Calder would, in terms of he probably could have gone down south and did a really good job somewhere in the championship or the or the Premier uh, Premier League because I think he was I think he was really good uh, in terms of his management style and any any players you speak to as well they they love the two Jimmys. Mm-hmm. Um, who are really popular. So, yeah, it's a shame to see that he's uh, that he's not well. So, um, so yeah, but I'd definitely go for Jimmy Calderwood. Yeah, it's a, it's a terrible thing. The Alzheimer's that he's suffering with. Um, there's no much more you can say about that other than hope he keeps okay as well as possible. Um, and I'll just round out of this question. Um, we've not touched much in the national team. Um, we've just run out of time, unfortunately. But um, Scotland are playing Serbia. Um, Two weeks and Thursday, do you think we'll um, get through? Don't know. It's going to be really tight. I think. I mean, if Serbia play to what Serbia can play like, they'll beat us. Um, but we look really solid and don't look like we're going to lose many goals. We'll go. And set up really defensively. We look like we're a threat at set pieces now, which is which is good. Um, I'm glad that it's starting to come together for Clark. Uh, but you know, I, I read I was reading a, a thread on Twitter, and it was a guy who was sort of any Serbian football, and he was saying that the manager's a head case for, for Serbia. He was the Montenegro manager. And they were due to play Kosovo, and he resigned because he didn't recognise Kosovo as a country. Um, so a fairly staunch manager, you could say. Um, and he basically got that job. He got the Serbia job on that basis, I think, that he was pretty staunch mm-hmm. Serbia. Um, uh, I think the guy on Twitter compared it to John Brown getting the Rangers job, whereas he would probably do okay because just the resources that he's got, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, that show, um, you know, he, he's not a very good manager, put it that no. way. So let's hope that Serbia have an off day, we have a good day, and I think that we've got every chance. And, you know, I think that things are definitely looking up 
uh, Clark seems to have found a way of playing that works. Mm-hmm. And I think if we if we don't make it this time, you know, it'll be disappointing. But we we've got every chance. We've got ourselves to the playoff, which is which is what the aim was, I guess. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, fingers crossed we can we can get over the line and uh, and finally get to a major tournament. It's actually a shame that it's going to be here because I'd actually quite like to go away and uh, <laughs> experience some other European country because it's not as, quite as exotic uh, going to Hamden and uh, and down to Wembley. But you know, getting to play England in a major tournament is always good. And it's about time we beat them as well. Yeah, definitely. I'd love revenge for you in '96 without doubt. Um, but well, listen, thank you very much for your time, Stephen. I've really enjoyed your chat today, and um, you know, take care of yourself and good luck with the show with uh, you. And hope you get a few words and edgeways when you're on with him. <laughs> That's the problem. Thanks very much for having me, John. Right, take care. <laughs>